0: Podcast talking all things Disney with your hosts L. John Goh and Dave Bossert.
1: Welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of all the great Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and so much more. It's a show about all things Disney and pop culture. And I'm your pop culturist host, Aljon Go, musician, longtime Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars fan. And you can email me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com.
0: And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. And I'm back in the palatial Skull Rock Los Angeles studios this week. That's <laughs> right. I am back in town. Yeah. Okay. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at skullrockpodcast.com Uh and Al John, uh, I've been looking forward to this show. This is just you and me. It's Al John and Dave, the Skull Rock SmackDown. Smackdown. I, 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 I kind of called it that because I know you're a big <laughs> WWE wrestling fan. I am. So, know. you know, I just want to, I want our audience to know that, you know, periodically Al John and I just want to do a show together and just talk about stuff that's on our minds. And that's what we're going to do today. Uh, we have guests booked and interviews recorded that take us out to the end of June. Mm. But every once in a while, Al John and I are, like to have a conversation and talk about things that are on our mind. It's so true. that's
1: what we're doing today, right, Aljon? Absolutely. And by the way, you're listening to this on the heels of what I would, you know, assume was a really great Mother's Day because we're recording this Mother's Day morning. It drops Monday. So happy Mother's Day to uh, to your significant other, Nancy. Happy Mother's Day to my wife, and uh, uh, happy heavenly Mother's Day to my mommy. So
0: yeah, and you know, happy Mother's Day to Kristen, yes. uh, your wife. Hey, and I'm yeah. going to be talking to my mother. Yeah, your mom,
1: uh, who, who's ninety two and a half. Yeah,
0: now. yeah, your, your uh, mom. I'm going to be talking to her later on today.
1: Hey, Happy Mother's Day. There hey, you go. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm all. Uh, I uh, actually had to do some Disney shopping at the disney store using the app and uh i got my wife uh, she loves collecting the disney dresses dave you know what i'm talking about the really nice dresses that have the theme on it like the haunted mansion dress or the orange oh, bird yeah, yeah so yeah. she's got a so, few these of these
0: skirts or dresses the
1: dresses right the full-on dresses. full-on okay. dresses I've
0: seen, I've seen skirts
1: too yeah yeah they have they have yeah. them all so i got one for the matterhorn for her Mm. Which is great. And it came wow. and it fit just wonderfully. They're just beautifully made. And now she has a collection of, of little little dresses and, 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 and such um, that are all Disney themed. So anytime she goes to the park and she feels a little dapper, if you will, she'll end up throwing that on. So awesome, that's pretty neat. Anyway, um, yeah, so big show uh, in terms of just the SmackDown. Dave and I are going to be talking about a bunch of different things about pop culture. And just a hint, Dave, are we going to talk about the possible fatigue of fans with the Marvel franchise and, and superhero movies I, you as, know, a, as a whole? I, I think
0: this is going to dovetail nicely into the fact that you and I both saw Ga- uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah. You know, and so I and I have to say, um, well, I, I'm gonna save it for for the segment. Sure. Okay? I, sure. I'm gonna say I'm gonna save my opinions there.
1: Right on. Well, I we're gonna get into that, into the, our topics as well as the news. But before we do all that
0: Skull Rock Podcast it answers your email.
1: You got a note from a listener, Dave. I, I did. You know
0: something? I got a note uh from our friend Chris Banis with the Grand Circle Tour podcast. And you know, I've been on their podcast a couple of times. It's a live uh podcast. Uh and I have to tell you, she sent me a note saying, While listening to your part one interview with Bill Farmer, I heard Al John mention some different Facebook pages and groups that you share out to since you've been on our live show and you share out with us as well. Would you mind giving the grand circle tour podcast a shout out as well? I would be greatly, it would be greatly appreciated. Well, of course, Chris, absolutely. I'm a fan of the grand circle tour podcast and I think our listeners would probably enjoy it as well. Um, so there's your shout out, Chris. And I appreciate you dropping us a note. And more importantly, I really appreciate the fact that you listen and give us a shout
1: out on your podcast. Absolutely. So now I'm going to be posting on your group. <laughs> I'm sure Dave, Dave already I post posts on, on their, the group.
0: I, I I post on their Facebook
1: group every week. There you go. You I know, know I, you post I, let, every I week. I
0: let their, their I let their folks know uh, what's going on with the uh, Skull Rock podcast and who the the uh, guest is that week.
1: You, you know? know, which is great because I know that when you post in some of the groups that we're we're members of, you'll come in on a Monday. I'll come in on a Tuesday, and then I'll tweet it. You know, a couple times during the week, which is a good tag team promotion. There you go. Uh, so it's perfect. You
0: Hey listen, you know, we we want to get the word out especially uh when we have great guests, which is pretty much every week, you yeah, know.
1: Exactly. It's so much fun. So uh thank you. And by the way, um you know, Chris also wrote me and said, "Hey, by the way, since you're a music I'd make sure to include Bobby Caldwell in your tributes of entertainers He passed. He's such a talented individual." who was able to transcend the music genre of the soul smooth jazz uh, or what I say, quote, blue eyed soul, if you will. Um, So a great artist. He had one of the best voices around. Thanks for all you do, Al, John and Dave on the podcast, Chris. Yeah. So, you know, I think we did mention this um, in passing. I uh, I thought we mentioned
0: this like, uh, yeah, like a month or so ago, you know, Uh, but uh, if we didn't
1: our bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously Bobby Caldwell, What You Won't Do for Love, which is uh, just an amazing kind of double platinum, you know, been on the charts back in 1978. It's been covered by so many people. Um, He's also had, uh, I guess, a lot of influence from the Rat Pack with his songs The Next Time I Fall from Neil Diamond and so many other things uh, he did. But um, yeah, I mean, he will be missed for sure. You know, yeah. especially someone that that has had such a great and lengthy career uh, that Bald, yeah. Bobby Caldwell had as he passed at the age of 71. So, yeah, there you go. Very good. So hey, uh, if you have any questions or comments, like I said, our email is open all the time. Feel free to drop us that email. And for those Spotify listeners that are out there, uh, just a little note that you can always send us feedback regarding the show using the Spotify app. All you have to do is click that uh, Q&A. Answer if you like this episode, and send us those questions or leave a voicemail using the Spotify app, which is great. But of course, we're everywhere you find podcasts—you know, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, iHeartRadio, so many others. So please, check Amazon, that out. Amazon, of course, of course, Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, so I think we are ready to move on to Skull Rock podcast this week in Disney and pop culture. All right, in the box office, can you believe Wait a it? Second. Yes, you 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 skipped what we're watching again. Oh, for heaven's week. sake, another one! Oh my gosh, come on! you See, I'm going to leave come it on. in here. I know I have one job. I have one job. What we've been watching this week? I'm sorry, I, I you know. Uh R.I.P. Don Lafontaine, but I, I think uh I'm gonna have to get uh someone to do that voiceover for real, like Pablo Francisco. Do you know the the comedian Pablo Francisco? I've heard the name, he's, yeah. He's so good. He was on Mad TV for a little bit and I interviewed him when I was on FM radio here in Nashville. He's just an amazing voiceover guy, but he he's got so many uh impersonations that he does. He's kind of like a Joe Piscopo kind of uh, talent, very talented. And uh, um and he does in a world. You know, he does that whole thing. So <laughs> maybe I may just have to ping Pablo and say, Hey, could you do this for, for the Skull Rock Podcast? That'd be great. I actually would love to have him on because Pablo's so so funny. You um, should book him. Yeah, I'll have to reach out to Pablo. It's been years since I've I've talked to him, but uh yeah, I'll have to reach out to him anyway. Uh yeah, so we've been watching a bunch of different things. Dave, you've been very busy.
0: I did. You know, I saw Guardians of the Galaxy 3 in IMAX. uh, And, uh, you know, I like this movie, and I think we're going to talk a little bit more about this uh, uh, later on in our show. But I have to tell you, while I was watching this film, I felt it was a bit darker than the previous two Guardians of the Galaxy movies. It was a little bit more darker. And I was thinking to myself, am I starting to get superhero fatigue Mm -hmm. you know, and, and we'll talk more about that, uh, you know, shortly, but, uh, generally I would say I like this movie, uh, but it is not as good as the first two, Mm -hmm. but it's still good. And it's still worth seeing on the big screen. I mean, incredible, incredible amount of visual effect shots in this movie. It was just unbelievable.
1: Well, while we're on the topic, shall I just chime in on my, my thoughts on that? Yeah. Okay, so I I really enjoyed it as well, more than I thought I would, although you know everybody knows I'm a huge Marvel fan, and yeah. I was really afraid that they were going to kill off, permanently kill off, one of my favorites, Rocket. Uh, I don't want to spoil it, but um, I will tell you that he is the heart of the story, and I think it's great, and yes, is it dark, but I think they made it a point to say the stakes in this film are huge, yeah, because this is a you know, they're they're a family. They're they're an adoptive family, which I love the story about it because they're all pretty much orphaned, you know, yeah. uh, kind of kind of people. And they found family within themselves and find power within themselves. And the, our overarching uh character development over the course of the three films and the Avengers films, you were able to see them kind of grow up. And then you can see them deal with loss in this film. And, and I think it's, I think it's great. But once again, I feel like this tone of this film could have easily been applied to Thor Love and Thunder because the stakes were very high and uh, opposed to Thor Love and Thunder, where the cancer storyline with Jane Foster was kind of made a comedic footnote to a lot of, a lot of things. It did help propel the story, but I, I felt like there wasn't enough weight in terms of stakes for the yeah. characters. This one, you could certainly feel the weight um, yeah. a, of the stakes. So for me, it was a great note, uh, a lot of tie-ins to previous Marvel films, especially their own films. So there, as I say in storytelling for me, in, in songwriting especially too, it's a matter of setting things up meeting expectations and, 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 uh, and releasing all that. So they, they did a good job of building that anticipation, setting it up and then paying it off a series of payoffs. So I felt satisfied. Um, and I thought the, the practical effects were great in this as well as the CGI. I felt like they didn't rush it. Like I felt in quantum mania, if I were to, To analyze it some more, but we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I also give it two thumbs up. I actually saw it twice, Dave.
0: Oh, did you? Wow. I liked it so much. I I saw it twice. I I have to tell you, though, because you mentioned Rocket, I really enjoyed his, you know, learning his backstory, Mm -hmm. like where he came from, how he became who he is Mm -hmm. uh and they really spent a lot of time uh showing us that you know and uh and and i thought that was terrific all right we're gonna talk more about that shortly Mm -hmm. but uh i also uh watched a bunch of episodes for second the second season of sweet tooth ooh on Netflix, Mm -hmm. right? And so just as a reminder, Sweet Tooth is uh, essentially, uh, the storyline is uh, they're on a perilous adventure in a post-apocalyptic world. A boy who's half human and half deer searches for a new beginning with a gruff protector. Uh, And this stars uh, Christian Convery, uh, who stars as Gus the the half human half deer kid uh and his protector is Nanzo uh, Anazi uh who plays uh Tommy uh Jeppard yes uh and I have to tell you I really like this series a lot uh right. and I I really have enjoyed I enjoyed season 1 Season two is now up on Netflix. I'd really highly recommend this to anybody. Uh, don't be put off by the post-apocalyptic thing. Uh, I I think this is really a, a story of relationships and uh, you know looking for uh, for family and looking for you know his mother and all of this. Uh, uh, it, it's it's a good good story uh, and it's a good premise uh and uh i know that netflix has already renewed this for a third and final season and the showrunner said they're going to wrap it up very nicely uh for the audience uh in season 3 yeah uh, so check out um sweet tooth season 2 uh on netflix and then aljon i watched 5 Count them five episodes of Muppets Mayhem on Whoa. Disney. Plus. Whoa. That's and a lot. I gotta tell you, I just love, you know, the electric mayhem, mayhem. band. Yes. Uh and uh Dr. Teeth and yep. Animal. Uh basically, uh, to our audience, uh, this is like a live action show with the Muppets band in it. And there is plenty of cameos, like there used to be in the uh, the old Muppet Show. Uh, there's tons of cameos, you know, Little Naz, Tommy Lee, um, you know, uh, Danny Trejo, Cheech and Chong yep. is in one episode. There, I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. I was laughing. The writing is is terrific. Uh, I, in fact, I want to try and see if we can uh, get Bruce Lenoil. Uh, our friend, Bruce there go. Linoyle, who uh, does the voice of Timon, I want to see if we can get him back on the show yeah. uh, to talk a little bit more about the Muppets, because I know he's got a lot of friends that worked on it. I'm not sure if he's done any according on to it IMDb,
1: he's trying... if he's on, it, <laughs> if he's on right. it. Okay, So
0: so I, I want I want to get Bruce back on to talk a little bit about Muppet Mayhem, but it's fantastic. And, you know, I know over the years, the Muppets have been a bit hit and miss. Uh, On some of the projects But this is absolutely A hit to me I love this Muppet Mayhem You'll get a good laugh Watch this on Disney Plus. You'll love it. Uh, I also have been keeping up on Ted Lasso on Apple Plus, and the last thing he said to me on Apple Plus with Jennifer Gardner. Right. Uh, as the episodes drop, I'm watching those. So uh, that's what I've watched this this past week. Uh, Al, John, I know you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy three twice. Yeah. What
1: else have you, What else have you been watching? All right. So I saw Evil Dead Rise and. <laughs> You know, I, I come here, you know, talking about horror movies, you know, I had to go out there and see it. I'm a huge fan. Hey,
0: so, somebody has to see those movies. Exactly.
1: I see them. So you don't. Um, but I mean, once again, I think it, it is, is good as a, as a, not as a film in and of itself. It's good. It was not a waste of time. I felt like it was, it was uh, well done. However, as part of an evil dead series of films, it falls short and okay. part of the magic is gone. <laughs> Pardon the pun, the magic, right? I mean, yes, it's about an evil book called the Necronomicon. So there's evil magic in there, but, uh, I, I felt like they're trying, they tried to do the whole house in the woods, cabin in the woods, uh, type of horror film within the, uh, confines of an apartment complex, basically. So basically rinse and repeat, drop this people in to this situation. Um, Which is what I expected, but it just falls a little short just because there's so much um, campy, a little bit more campiness. uh, There is a lot of that kind of uh, splatter kind of horror that's involved there, but uh, it's good. So it's a a good six out of 10 for me. Not a waste of time. Now, the other film I did see is The Menu. So if you don't know about this particular film and uh, uh, my wife was like, we got to watch the menu. we got to watch the menu because it is about a foodie foodie culture. And it's a very weird twist on foodie culture because this, in this particular uh, invite to a very ritzy dining experience with an uh, internationally known celebrity chef, um, you are invited there for a reason, and that's because you've done bad in your lifetime. And the chef finds out about it and is going to correct those wrongs, right? That's the kind of twist. And there are a lot more twists in there. And right. uh, it's, a, it's a good, it's good. It's kind of a suspenseful. So definitely check out the menu. And I have to give out, so it's actually listed, Dave, as a comedy horror. <laughs> so uh, the boilerplate reads: A young couple travels to remote island to eat in an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises. Well,
0: so, you know something, I, I you know a a, a comedy uh, horror comedy, I I could go for a horror comedy.
1: Uh, I would watch it because okay, I I literally the first twenty minutes of the film, my wife and I are scratching our heads going what are we watching this is so yeah. bizarre and then you're like oh this is what we're watching um but you can stream it now uh shout out to Ralph Fiennes for an incredible work as the the head chef um Anna Taylor Joy as Margo and Nicholas Holt who plays Tyler uh was from the X-Men movies who played the beast and he's also very good as a huge fanboy of uh, celebrity chefs so um
0: well, Ralph Fiennes is, is a fantastic actor. Oh, absolutely. He really is a terrific actor.
1: So much fun. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely yeah. check it out. And I, too, uh, saw Muppets Mayhem. I saw the first episode. I, I'm intending to watch more, a lot more. And being a musician, you know, I hate having to put that qualifier as a musician. But I laugh because there's so many things about the music industry that are worth making fun of. and. The fact that they were signed to a contract in the 70s, the, the May electric mayhem band, and they never made good on it because they're so just, you know, bombed out of their mind in the bus. Of course, that's implied, right? That, yes, you know, yes. that they never made the record. They don't even remember if they did or not, but uh, they owe the record label some money so, or a record. So they're going to go out there and try to help this uh, uh, ever changing music industry with putting out an album. So this is a, it's good stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I can't say enough good things about Muppet Mayhem. Uh, that That's two thumbs up. You'll really enjoy it. I mean, look, it, it, if you like the Muppets, you're
1: going to love this show. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know what I love about it, Dave, is that they didn't try to change the Muppets from what we know. I think some of the times when you watch some of the Muppet TV shows and things – the, it automatically turned people off. I think when they started doing the Muppets on primetime, they put an edge to the Muppets that was completely... Out of character. It's out of character. It's not what yeah. you know and love. It's like saying, you know, it's like watching The Last Jedi and seeing Luke Skywalker being a bad guy or doing something bad. It's like, no, he is a paragon of virtue. Right. And the same thing can be said about the Muppets when they rebooted it. And it was too late for them to, to shift course because people were just turned off it's like what are you saying that miss piggy and, and kermit are not you know together what are you saying about you know all these that the you know they're not behaving properly or that it's not it's off character don't do it and i think that's yeah. what they're doing here is that they're giving the muppets like this is what you knew and love about the muppets and let's move forward and that's that's what we love and that's what they should be doing. Absolutely. You know, so. All right. Well, hey, let us know what you've been watching. Send us those notes and we'll see if we can drop that into our playlist for the week and discuss it right here on the next Skull Rock podcast. Skull Rock podcast ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock podcast headline news. The book club the next chapter is giving 7 million upon opening and of course Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Volume 3, stays on top. Dave, Marvel seems to be back.
0: Well, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy only dropped 51% into the second weekend, which is actually really good.
1: Yes, it is. You know,
0: considering uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, uh, Quantumania, that dropped like 70%. Yep. Which is not good.
1: Nope. (laughs) Which is not good. Kind of like their VFX, but... Yeah. Oh God, and, I'm, so uh, I'm so bad. I'm no, so bad.
0: I, 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 I think, I think Guardians of the Galaxy is a hit. Yes. Uh, certainly, it's doing well at the box office. But how about those Super Mario uh, Brothers numbers? I mean, yeah. holy smokes! I, right? Yeah, it's uh, universally I, it, it's loved. Gone, <laughs> yeah, it's gone past 1.2 billion globally. Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah. Check out Evil Dead Rise from Warner Brothers taking a fourth at $1.1 million, only down 33%, uh, matching the $17 million opening of the franchise's 2013 reboot. So uh, not too shabby. I think they're going to make hey. some money off that.
0: And by the way, speaking of box office, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I was reading a little blurb in the Hollywood Reporter about um, uh, Spider-Man across the Mm -hmm. Spider-Verse, which is going to be coming out in a few weeks time Uh, that. Uh is tracking for like an 80, 70, 80 million dollar opening weekend so far. And I think it's going to probably crest over a hundred million opening weekend. And I saw an extended trailer for that at the head of um Guardians of the Galaxy yep. in IMAX, right? Yeah. I saw this trailer in IMAX. It's absolutely spectacular. Visually spectacular looking well yeah i I just cannot wait to see this movie and i would just say anybody out there who is an animation fan put spider-man across the spider-verse on your list of films to see in a theater because this just
1: looks beautiful it's like a comic book come alive it's every it's every Kid Aljon's dream to see their characters in live action, but to see the care and detail they put into the into the film uh, as a comic book reader. It's amazing. The first one was amazing. Yeah, we lo- I think the first one is universally loved. I don't think you'll find anyone that saw that movie that didn't like it. And right. I think you're going to find the same for this film. I mean, it, well-written, very well-animated, and very well-scored. Just everything about it, it looks great to me. It looks like a million bucks, Dave. It's great. Beautiful movie. I can't wait to see it. <sighs> Neither can I. Well, that should be really good in the coffers of Disney and Sony for uh, Into the Spider Verse, the next uh, installment. But uh, speaking of animation, Disney CEO Bob Iger praises rival Universal's Super Mario Brothers movie, according to CNBC. Uh, they kicked off the company's earnings call by praising Marvel Studios on the success of the blockbuster Super Mario Brothers, which coincidentally is back to back Chris Pratt owning the box Not office. Studios,
0: Universal Studios. Oh,
1: Universal Studios, yes sorry uh, but uh, yeah Chris Pratt owning it and the Nintendo based flick has grossed over 1.1 $1. $1 billion dollars worldwide where Disney's recent animated offerings it. have struggled struggled
0: yeah and, and you know this is kind of unusual but kudos to Bob Iger for calling out uh, you know uh, a movie that uh, really uh, is, is you know killing it at the box office and, and I, I you know I think it's unusual but at the same time I think it, you know he's, he's being very cool about it classy Move, you know, yeah, classy it move. is a class. You know, he's a classy guy, and it, and it was a classy move to 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 give a shout out to Super Mario Brothers. And by the way, it it, it just further. You know Shows that they need to take A closer look At Walt Disney Animation Studios And what's going on At Walt Disney Animation Studios Because um, You know With with uh, Strange World Doing as poorly As it did last Thanksgiving And, and by the way You know Pixar You know uh, Lightyear Did not do great last year You know And And those are the two films They seem to be pointing to I think they have to uh, Sort of step back and do a, an honest assessment of of what they're doing as far as filmmaking and the stories they're trying to tell over there.
1: Well, that's that's the entire problem, is it not? I, yeah. um, they have to they I mean, have to we, look can, at their franchises live. and go, look. Yeah. Let's. I, I understand that filmmakers have a voice, they have a story that they want, you know. But I think you have to service the fans. They are the people that ultimately keep those properties going, and. The, the, it's, it's not for lack of, uh, of people going to the movies. People want a reason to spend their hard-earned money in going to the movies. And Mar- Mario Brothers is an example of them doing it right. Yeah,
0: and, and look, I I think people look, the movies are about escapism, sure, huh, John, sure, and uh, people want to go to the movies, and they don't want to have messages crammed down their throats. They don't want to have, you know, uh, uh, you know, different. Uh, aspects of uh, society crammed down their throats. Uh, they want to go to the movies to escape all of that stuff. To top, just yeah. enjoy themselves yep. for you know an hour and a half to two hours. Top Gun. Uh, top Gun. And, and, top Gun. Uh, guardians of the galaxy three, yep. uh, you know, and obviously you saw super Mario brothers. So you tell me,
1: yeah, at 100% I think people, people want satisfying stories. They want um, great characters. They, you know, great characters and great stories speak for themselves. They have no agenda. They don't do anything, but just entertain and everything else is, is surrounding those characters is great. Like, I had no problem with, the, you know, with, with any of the other stuff that we, we talked about at all. But at the end of the day, is it rewatchable? Do I want to watch it again? In the case of Mario Brothers and Guardians of the Galaxy, I've seen them both twice.
0: Okay. There you have it. You know, I, I want to go to the movies and have a lot of fun. Yeah. want I, I want to see, you know, a compelling movie that's well made. Yep. Uh, That's that's a little different from things I've seen before Uh, and and just enjoy it. You know, I I don't want to be, you know, spoon fed uh, some, you know, BS.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's good. You know, you could have all that stuff. But but here once again, you know, Disney's theatrical animated contact lag at the box office since the pandemic. We'll talk a little bit about that as well, but they've done great stuff with Universal. The Minions Rise of Gru was just a great, fun film. I did not see Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Did, Dave, did you see that? I did not see that Okay, I, I I have it in the queue. I have yet to see it. I'm going to have to uh, wait till it, it streams. I think it's already available on streaming. I, I,
0: I've heard a lot of good things about it, though, I have to tell you.
1: Well, it's not too late for Disney to pull the nose up. Uh, they do have Pixar's Elemental, do, as well as Wish uh, later this year. Dave and I have shared our thoughts on those trailers um, coming to theaters in the holiday season. We'll just have to wait and see. They need to pull the nose up. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of pulling the nose up and maybe bailing, showrunner Tony Gilroy, according to the Hollywood Reporter, uh, ceases producing services on Andor. The creator of the Disney Plus series singled out on social media performing non-writing duties tells Hollywood Reporter that he has stopped all functions. Dave, what's up with Tony Gilroy during this WGA strike? What's going on here?
0: You know, I I don't know what to tell you. I just feel like when when a strike happens, um, they they really start to focus in on certain people. And Tony Gilroy was a producer, uh, showrunner uh, and writer on Andor. So I think because the writers are out on strike, they want they want all their members to stop doing any work. Yeah, uh, on these programs, uh, I, I honestly I hope that they can settle this writer strike uh, sooner rather than later. Yep. Uh, it's going to be devastating to Los Angeles uh, if the strike goes on for a protracted period of time.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, so. come come to a great agreement. Um, you know, this happens every every few years, um, but. I'm sure they'll be able to come to the table to terms that are are agreeable for everybody and keep the jobs and the businesses rolling. And uh,
0: Al John, I was going to say though, you know, when, when a guild goes out, like the writers go out on strike. Yeah. There's a lot of other uh, crafts and uh, you know, union guilds in town that will respect those picket lines and they won't go to work. Right, so yep. then when they fully stop production uh, on shows because of a writer strike, then you've got craft services, oh, yeah. you've got scenic houses, you've got so many different aspects of the uh, filmmaking business that grind to a halt right. because production shuts down. And that just has a ripple effect through the Los Angeles economy. Yep. Uh, and I just really pray that they uh, get this, yeah. this resolved and get the writers back
1: to work. Yeah. It really brings the industry to its knees. Um, but unlike the, unlike the pandemic, this one is something that uh, that can be, uh, that can be overcome. Hopefully, quickly, yeah. Dave, as you say. So we'll, yeah, we'll see. And,
0: and by the way, AI is a big factor here. Sure. You know, artificial intelligence, which has been, you know, AI has been in the news so much. Like, In fact, I have to tell you, last Friday, Al John, uh, I was watching an interview with a um, uh, CEO of a tech firm. And he literally said there was a 50 50 chance. That AI will wipe out humanity. A <laughs> fifty-fifty chance, you know. This is this is like you know the the this is like activate Skynet. Kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> the robots are going to wipe out humanity. <laughs>
1: oh man! Oh, take me now. Uh, uh, at least we can laugh about it. <laughs> yeah, we'll laugh about it now. Let's add that to the algorithm. You know, everything we say into the podcast gets put it in the algorithm. Then you can ask Virtual Dave, you know, what he thinks about uh, AI taking over the world. It's like, well, yes, Al John yes, it will take over the world, indeed. I tell you, who else is taking over the world other than uh, AI? Is Jenna Ortega? Uh, she is the hottest thing coming out of Hollywood right now and she is set to star in Beetlejuice 2 it's set for fall 2024 we'll see how the writer's strike uh kind of changes things around for this but uh I love the fact that we're going to have just an awesome Beetlejuice sequel because I love the film the original film with Michael Keaton which is amazing Winona Ryder in there as well uh It's just great. It's good to see this particular film and the fact that it is a sequel with Jenna Ortega playing the daughter of Lydia, the character played by Renona writer in the very first film, and Michael Keaton coming back as Beetlejuice. Uh, I'm excited about this. And and,
0: uh, also Tim Burton directing. Yes. And, And they just signed Willem Dafoe. Oh, Willem Dafoe, one of my favorites. He's joining the cast, so uh, I cannot wait to see Beetlejuice 2. It's going to be fantastic.
1: Uh Uh-huh, I can't wait either. All right, another thing we can't wait for, Dave, is one of your favorite shows right now. Joel McHale, Funny Man, is getting renewed for Season 2 of Animal Control on Fox. So you know, uh, this
0: is such a great show, Al, John, uh-huh. and I would highly recommend this to our listeners. If you haven't seen this, you should check it out. You can catch it on Hulu. If you've got the Disney Plus and the Hulu ESPN bundle, uh, check this out on Hulu. Anim, uh, Animal Control uh, uh, Season 1 is up uh they're still dropping episodes but you can watch uh, quite a number of episodes of season one and i was so thrilled when i saw that they renewed uh this show for
1: season two there you go you know it's i'm gonna have to watch it because he is just an insanely funny guy so uh definitely in my queue now it's a great cast too by right, the way just right a on really yes. great cast indeed Well, speaking of great casting and a great show, Lauren Cohen, I am such a big fan of The Walking Dead. Lauren Cohen and Jeffrey Dean Morgan, some of my favorite uh, actors and actresses, will be battling zombies once again in the sequel series, another spinoff, Walking Dead, Dead City. The spinoff of this flagship series has Maggie, uh, played by Cohen, and Negan, played by Morgan, returning to navigate a post-apocalyptic New York City to rescue her kidnapped son. I saw the trailer, Dave, um... Once again, it looks like a big hit. Uh we have another big hit on our hands for uh uh for AMC, which is good according to the Hollywood Reporter. Uh,
0: it, it looked terrific to me. Um and I am going to see if I can try and watch this uh once it once it drops because uh you know, I've I've sort of been hit and miss on the original Walking Dead series. I've watched part part of season one, but I really haven't been able to get into it. Well, I have something not not for a lack of trying and not because I don't want to. It's a a lot of times Nancy isn't in the mood to watch a zombie movie or a zombie show uh, in the evenings. You know, I get it.
1: I get it. Well, here here's something to note. If you just watch the season finales, the the last two episodes of every season leading up to to this, um, you'll get caught up. Okay. You'll get caught up. Sounds I'm just great. telling you. Just Good. Yeah, there's a couple things that happened here and yawn, but uh, here and yawn, Dave, here you go. There's a Southerner in me. <laughs> oh, there's a couple <laughs> things here and yawn, and I consciously knew that was coming out of my mouth, and I'm like, here's my Southerner coming out. But uh, yes, definitely be, be sure to check that out for sure. Anyway, that is all for the news this week. Let's move on to our our meaty, meaty discussion this week. Oh, Dave. It's time for the Al John and Dave Smackdown of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Superhero fatigue, Dave. Is it real? Is it actually happening? I can tell you that we had this article I, I pulled up. It says over a third of the Marvel fans say they're filling the franchise fatigue in a new survey. Uh, this happened late uh, last year, so it's, it's, not, it's nothing new. But a vast majority say they'll still watch anything that Marvel releases. Um, Hero fatigue is real. You've got studios like Marvel and Disney and DC and other franchises as well, like Amazon with the boys and and, and other things. There's a lot of superhero stuff going on. Um, Is it too much? Are fans getting fatigued? Dave, you mentioned being fatigued when you saw... Guardians, uh, You know,
0: I have to say, when I was watching Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I did feel a bit of a superhero fatigue setting in. Um, I liked the movie. Um, I didn't think in ranking it was the best of the three. Uh, it was, you know, the first one obviously was the best, I think. The second one was very good. And this one was good. I enjoyed it. But I also felt a bit fatigued while I was watching it. And, you know, I think, and this is just me, I'd like to see them just spread out the releases a little bit more. You know, uh, they just seem to be coming one on top of another. Now, that said, there was a half hour's worth of trailers ahead of the screening I went to. I don't know about you, Al John. Oh, yeah. But I, I the... um uh, the trailer for the Flash, the extended trailer for the Flash mm-hmm. is absolutely fantastic. Oh yeah, and I can't wait to see that. So you know, I'm I'm really uh, uh, looking forward to seeing what happens with the DC franchise now that they have new management folks at the top of it. Yeah, um, but again, I you know how many superhero movies can you cram into the year? Uh, before you start to uh, really turn off some of the audience because they're just being overwhelmed by it.
1: Well, I think most, I think there was a, a survey that I had read that most, most Americans go to the movie theater maybe three times a year. You know, maybe they go <laughs> at least three times a year. I think that that was a survey, I think, done by, um, well, anyway, it, it doesn't matter. But, but, when there's so many releases you have to be very um picky and choosy about what films to see and if they feel like maybe they've seen more of the same and nothing new uh peaks them then maybe they'll just they'll just wait to stream it because you know let's face it you know the window for theatrical release and streaming has reduced considerably so maybe you know within an, you know a uh, uh, four week period they could even see this movie you know streaming outside of the you know Outside of the theater, so well,
0: look how look how quickly air went from the theaters onto Amazon uh, Prime.
1: Exactly, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's one of those things. I mean, um, they're taking advantage of that. But I think the the superhero and more indicative the, the the issue with Marvel right now, I think, is yes, fans may be feeling fatigued, and I think it's because. Disney has put so much emphasis on Disney Plus content um, because we're seeing it now. The 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 fruits of the the labor that went on during the pandemic are being apparent, right? Yeah. So you're seeing films that were and TV shows that were being made um, right before the pandemic had shut down. Marvel had kind of had to scramble because everything's so interconnected. A lot of the 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 tissue, uh, interconnective tissue, had to be excised out. Of those films as a result, and you can see all the behind the scenes, um, the, you know, f- vignettes and featurettes that they put out. Oh, we had to take this scene out because of the, having to rearrange the film or this, that and the other. And there was a lack of cohesion, right, um, in the the past couple of years of these films, whether it was the Black Widow film or Shang-Chi, all great films, by the way, um, and Disney Plus content like Moon Knight or Miss Marvel or She-Hulk you saw a lot of that stuff kind of excised because of the different shuffling that they had to do. So one thing as a Marvel fan that I loved about the uh, the first few phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that everything was interconnected and you can see a trailer that would go into or a, a post credit scene that would go and lead directly into the next film or would leave you asking questions about the next release and you know, peaks of the villains and what they're doing behind the scenes and everything is leading up to something. The pandemic screwed all that up, Dave.
0: Yeah, I you know I want to step back for a second because you said like three uh, percent of of the public goes to the movies a year.
1: No, no, like three, or, like families tend to go to the theater maybe three times a year. Is that, uh, okay. so, is, so that I, is that is that the right to, number?
0: I, I wanted to mention that I I wrote an article a couple of years ago. Uh, It was in 2018, actually, for uh, the Henry Ford Museum magazine. It's called the Henry Ford magazine. Right. Uh, And the article was called Screen Time Paradigm. Uh, And in there, I pointed out that uh, in 1930, more than 70 percent of the U.S. population went to a movie theater weekly. Seventy (laughs) percent went weekly, and and that had dwindled by 2018. Had dwindled down to below ten percent. Can you imagine? Yeah, below ten percent. Go to the movies, which I'm I'm very I I I'm just very sad about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think films like Guardians of the Galaxy three. Indiana Jones 5, which is coming up, Mission Impossible, um, Top Gun, those kinds of films, you really can't get the full effect of those films watching them on a small screen at home. Right. Those kinds of films, I mean, Top Gun, I can't even imagine watching that uh, on a home television. Yeah, yeah. You know, even if you had a 65 or 75-inch screen, I still feel like seeing that in IMAX on the biggest screen you can see it on is an incredible experience. Yes. It really is. And I'll continue to say that. And I really, you know, I, 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 I really believe that people should go out to the movies and have that communal experience on these types of tentpole movies. You, there, there's nothing like it, right? You know that that's what the that's what these movies were made for. These movies were made to be seen on large, big screens in auditoriums with great sound systems.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Now, uh, Dave, you're you're 100 right. It's the immersive experience. It's a communal experience. It's kind of the modern equivalent of gather around the fire, right? much yeah. like a lot of people did at the advent of the television. I think people, and, and this is something that we missed, especially during the pandemic. And I think a lot of that kind of shine had kind of gone away. It's experiencing films together as a community. I think that's super, super cool. Um, it was a Gallup poll, by the way, Dave, that said, young uh, that said young adult, adults under the age of 30 reported seeing an average of 3.2 movies over, over course of the year.
0: You know, under 30, though, I mean, this is a generation that they're watching their content on a phone. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, And and that's that that to me is just horrible. Yeah, absolutely absolutely horrible. You know, it's one thing to watch a TikTok video or to watch something on YouTube that's a minute or two or three long. But to sit there and watch, you know, uh, a movie on your phone, which I see people doing on airplanes. Uh, that's that's insanity. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, you miss so much. You know, and I always use the example years ago. Um I had watched uh Casablanca with uh Humphrey Bogart numerous times on television and on uh um you know VHS and DVD. Yep. But I never saw that movie really until I had seen an anniversary screening yep. and a, and a uh, restored uh, uh print of the film at the Chinese theater in Hollywood. Yeah. I think it was like a, I think it was in the early nineties. It was like a 50th anniversary screening mm-hmm. and it was, absolutely eye-opening how much more you see on a big screen oh yeah these these films are made for the big screen experience and when you why when you shrink a film down to a phone oh there's just so much you miss i don't know how you can enjoy that
1: yeah
0: and i will tell you i've never watched a film on a phone
1: (laughs) no i just can't I'm, I'm, i'm guilty of doing so but i can tell you that uh you wanna you wanna you wanna know how popular films like Return of the Jedi are? Look at how they celebrated the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi, putting it back in theaters and having sellout audiences everywhere they screen it. Yeah, you know this is a film that I didn't see on the big on the big screen. Well, I know I actually did see Return of the Jedi on the big screen growing up, and I loved it. I think I see it, saw it like 15 times in a the theater. But um, you know, I didn't see the original Star Wars until it was reissued, right? Yeah, you know. And, uh, case in point, the average number of Americans, uh, prior to the pandemic in 2007 had uh, young young people from 18 to 29 go to the theaters at least an average of nine times a year, um, 30 to 49, four and a half times, 50 to 64, three times, and 65 and over twice. In 2021, at, you know, um, during the pandemic and uh, near post-pandemic, three point two, one point 3.2, 0.5. I mean, it literally just sucked the life out of the theaters, and it's something that we're still experiencing today. What is going to bring people back to the theaters is is a, is a question. But you know how fatigued people are with the Marvel franchise. Um, maybe uh, maybe a big Avengers film will help with that. But I think now that we're to tie it all together, now that we're seeing the results of the pandemic uh, era of Disney and Marvel kind of wash itself away. Kevin Feige seems to be going back to the reins. And now that Bob Iger's back there, the it's de-emphasizing the amount of content and focusing on quality of content and spacing it out so that there is not that that sense of pushing too much superhero films and content down people's throat right dave
0: yeah no no absolutely i agree with you but you asked the question you know what's going to bring people back to the theaters the hipsters i have i have full faith in the hipster crowd you know why because the hipsters they've they've brought back vinyl records yeah the hipsters are bringing back camera with film yeah you know uh so Come on, hipsters! Start getting out to the movie theaters. It's a hip thing to do.
1: It's a hip thing to do. <laughs> Give them hip content. What they need to do is what they need to do is re, you know bring some uh, classic films back, maybe in some screenings to to put butts in the seats. I think it's like I liken it to how you see new bands tour. Let's see, here's the music industry coming in. How new bands tour versus how some of the classic bands tour. Yeah. They sell out stadiums. You know, you look at Taylor Swift now. Yes, she has, you know, her tour is the Eras tour. So she's been at it for quite some time, Dave, and she's selling out arenas for multiple nights. You know, we talked about Aerosmith, you know, selling out their farewell tour because they know how to perform and how it's done. Rolling Stones, same thing.
0: The Rolling Stones, yeah. Uh, exactly. Case in point, they, Bruce Springsteen,
1: same thing. They, it's like They can all fill stadiums. Yep, they can all fill stadiums and large arenas. Um, They're giving people what they want. They're giving people the hits. That's not a bad thing. If you give people what they want, great stories, uh, things that they can relate to, uh, they'll come back. They'll come back because people want to escape. People want to hear the hits. People want to uh, live vicariously through the people that they see on stage or in this case, the big screen, Dave.
0: You know, look, I the, the Fathom Events does uh screenings of classic films, anniversary screenings of classic films on a regular basis. And I go to a lot of those and I'm very surprised at, you know, how few people go to some of those. I mean, when I saw a kill to kill a mockingbird with Gregory Peck, uh beautiful digital uh digitally restored and uh projected print, you know, version of the film, It it was absolutely spectacular. And that particular film, there seemed to be, you know, a reasonable number of people. But when I say reasonable, there might have been like a quarter of the theater. Um, uh, When I when I saw uh, the African Queen uh, in the theater uh, as an anniversary screening. Yeah, there might have been 10 percent. Uh, in the heat of the night with Sidney Poitier, yeah. there was there was probably a third of the theater. There was a there was a bigger turnout because it's it, it, it's a you know a film from the '60s as opposed to a film from the '40s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, again, seeing some of those fantastic classic films, those films that are on, you know, the the Library of Congress registry, um, uh, they're, you know, on lists of the 100 best films uh, ever made kind of uh, things with AFI and all that. Uh, I, these are the films that people should be running and packing theaters to see because they're spectacular and they don't get screened uh, in a movie house very
1: often. Right, right. I I like seeing those old classics and Fathom events do the great thing. You know, uh, they recently did, I think they recently did a screening of Star Trek Picard and their two-part season, uh, I guess, series finale. I would have loved to see that in my local theater. It was nowhere in sight. But, uh, you know, once again, give people what they want, you know, and they'll come back. I think part of the things, like I said, that that plagued Marvel is that we're putting out too much content, trying to do too many things too quickly to try to squeeze blood out of consumers' wallets as well. And I think it showed. Ant-Man Quantumania had such potential. And I personally like the film a lot. But you can tell there are places where they could have spent a little bit more love and care and attention to detail in terms of the visual effects and some other yeah. things um, the writing could have been much stronger for a lot of the character development, but man, you know, it's still a great film, but of course it got railed. Uh, and then you look at a, a film like guardians of the galaxy three, that clearly uh, had a lot of great writing. I mean, this is a story that James Gung had, had put together before he was released from Marvel. Um, you know, three, three years ago, we would have had this uh, three, four years ago. Uh, if it wasn't for um, you know, his being let go hastily, by the way, I don't think even Bob Iger uh, liked how that went. Well, maybe it was him, but I, I, but for whatever reason, um, it really hurt Marvel letting him go.
0: Um, well, you know, look, we're in the middle of a cancel culture, uh, where p- there's knee jerk reactions to things and people are being sacked and their careers are being derailed, um, uh, way too quickly. Right. way too quickly. Right. Um and, and it's it it's absolutely ridiculous. Uh they need to sort of slow down and uh, you know, look at these things a little bit more carefully. Um and, and, and you know, I, I'm gonna sit here and and be the first to tell you that uh the knee jerk reaction has hurt people, uh not just the people that it's targeted towards, but the people who are who are trying, you know, the companies, you know, look, look, at, look at what happened with, with Disney. You know, they, they buckled to a few people crying and, and saying that they should be standing up for something. And, and Bob JPEC then, you know, capitulates on, on, you know, wanting to work behind the scenes on something he capitulates comes out and says what, 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 what this small group of people want him to say. And then, You know, the the company gets hosed uh, and is embroiled in something that's going to go on for the next year or two before it ever gets resolved or longer. You know, I mean, it's crazy. And that kind of dovetails into what we were going to talk about with uh,
1: with with the Florida theme park expansion. Right. So let's move on then uh, to the expansion Of the theme parks, Um, moving on with Bob Iger, he did say in a recent investor call that theme park expansions are incoming or forthcoming, right? And in this particular call um, that happened just a few days ago, he says, quote, We have a number of growth and expansion opportunities at our parks, and we are closely evaluating where it makes sense in most sense to direct future investments. And so there you go. Disney theme parks brought in over 7 billion in res, uh, uh, revenue over this past year. That's a lot globally. And, uh, it looks like they're, you know, doing a bunch of stuff. I mean, we recently had Toontown get revamped and it looks great, uh, over there at Disneyland. They're, uh, revamping some things over at Epcot. They've recently put in so many new attractions, uh, over there as well at Walt Disney world. They've, um, What do you think? I mean, this whole thing with DeSantis versus Disney right now is not good. But like I told you, all they have to do is uh, wait out DeSantis. And if they wanted to open up another gate, uh, they have plenty of land in order to do that there in in Florida.
0: You know, I'm going to step back for a second because I I do want to just point out that Walt Disney, when he opened Disneyland, You know, his philosophy was that the park would never be finished. It was always something that was ever evolving and changing. Uh, And so the fact that Iger has said that the company is going to be uh, investing 17 billion dollars into Walt Disney World over the next 10 years. (laughs) And, and that they're going to be adding uh, thousands of jobs because of it yeah uh, it just seems to me that you know what's going on with DeSantis and the company is craziness it, 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 you, you can't you can't say any more than that it's just absolute craziness you know since when can't a company or an individual, Um, uh, speak an opinion without being uh, persecuted the way DeSantis is persecuting Disney. Right. I mean, this is the DeSantis has weaponized uh, politics against Disney. And, you know, there's dozens of other companies in Florida who felt the same way Disney felt about that legislation. And uh, he's not doing, you know, DeSantis isn't going after those companies. He's going after Disney. Right, you know, and uh, and I think this this whole thing is 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 awful. It's ridiculous. Uh, it 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 makes Desantis out to be nothing but a schoolyard bully. Uh, and i i hope uh, I hope Disney kicks his butt in in court um, uh, for all this is going on. Now that said, if I were at the top of Disney sitting there going, we're going to put $17 billion into a state that's kicking the crap out of us like this, you know, maybe they should, instead of opening a new gate, a new theme park on the property at Walt Disney world, maybe they should look about, you know, look at going someplace else to, to build say a Marvel themed park uh, you know, maybe in the center of the country, you know, how about Missouri go to Southern Missouri, you know, go, you know, Walt Disney was from Kansas city, Missouri, mm-hmm. you know, uh, go someplace else and build a whole brand new Marvel theme park, uh, uh, uh outside of Florida. Well, uh, and, and then you've got, you at the whole center of the country, uh, people
1: to come visit that park. It certainly could do that. I mean, part of the agreement they had with Universal is the fact that they couldn't open up uh, Marvel characters past the, you know, I guess the Universal past the Mason-Dixon line, right? So you, you you have those type of characters staying within Universal in Orlando, but if they open up another theme park there in the Midwest, certainly they can use all of their Marvel IP in their own theme park.
0: A- absolutely. Right?
1: Absolutely.
0: And, and, and again, why would you make, you know, look, maintain and expand the existing parks with new rides and things like that. But opening another gate at, uh, in Orlando, I, why, why do that now? It may, you know, certainly it makes sense because you have all the land, but with all the issues going on with, with the Florida state government, And, uh, you know, the, uh, the dissolution of, uh, the Reedy Creek, uh, special district and, and them putting in this orange County tourist board, uh, for oversight. I mean, why, why bother, you know, Why, why bother go, go, go buy, you know, a huge track of land someplace else, you know? You, you know why not? And if you want to stay on the East Coast, you know, stay on the I ninety five corridor. You got plenty of places in Georgia. You got plenty of places in uh, South Carolina, North Carolina. Uh, you know, you go right up the I uh, the I ninety five corridor.
1: There you go. Well, there's a lot of different things there, but I, I I think that it's great though that the parks will continue to grow, evolve, and expand, and um, the fans demand it. I think the the uh-huh. The fans are at a fever pitch for att- uh, attending theme parks right now. Um, things have slowly gotten back to normal in regards to staffing, and uh, that'll continue. And uh, I, I'm hoping that uh, Bob is right. You know, just continue making the parks uh, a premier destination and a premium uh, experience for people that want to you know, spend their hard earned money and experience the best that Disney has to offer. That comes, uh, you know, part of that is at the parks and definitely at the theaters as well. Um, you know, as we talk about, uh, the quality control when it comes to the storytelling that's involved. So uh, that's a lot of stuff to cover.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, uh, did you read that the, um, they're dropping the reservation requirements?
1: Yes. We, we did a dining at Disney episode about that. So they're, they're dropping the, the reservation requirements. They're bringing back the Disney dining Planet Walt Disney world. And this is all great moves. I think They've done a really good job working, you know, Iger working with Josh tomorrow at parks uh, are doing things that fans are, are really have been clamoring for. And that makes people feel better that they're spending their money at the right place, that they have flexibility in where they choose to go on their vacation and, and where they want to spend their money.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's fantastic. And, uh, uh and it, and it's only speaks volumes for the fans. It's yeah. good for the fans.
1: 100%. You know? I feel good about it now. You know, I, I felt very restrictive when I got my annual pass. Um, but because it's hard when you've been offering those type of amenities to guests for so many years. And I've been annual pass holders for, for, for 20 years or whatever, Dave. And now I feel like I'm getting my money's worth now. I feel good about spending my money at the parks. So good. Yep. Good. And that's the way it should be. Really. It should be. It should be. Now, Dave, you've worked on this project um from its uh, inception to now, 35 years later, Ru- Who Framed Roger Rabbit is coming out, uh, or I guess the anniversary is coming up here in June uh, for this uh, landmark film, Dave. Um, what are your thoughts uh, as you reflect back on 35 years of Who Framed Roger Rabbit?
0: My God, it, you know, I, I ran into Don Hahn last week and we chatted and, uh, and he mentioned that 35 years, I just, it felt like the 25th anniversary was like last month, you know? And so it's hard to believe that it's been 35 years since I worked on this movie with an incredible team of people. I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, and you know, John, I worked on, I worked on it in London. Yeah. So I lived in London and worked uh, out of the Camden town studio uh, with uh, Richard Williams, who was the animation director. Um, and I, I, I honestly, it, it, it's just one of those films that I think has really held up really, really well Yeah. Um, since, since it uh, was first screened. Now, June, next June, this, this next month, it's 35 years. Uh, and I think I think the movie holds up really well. I'd be curious to hear from our listeners about uh, what they think. Yeah. But considering that film was not done with any computer compositing technology,
1: uh, it's pretty spectacular. I think so. Recently, I uh, did a rewatch of Who Framed Roger Rabbit uh, with the kiddos. And I think it holds up really well. The uh, whatever technology, Dave, rotoscoping, whatever you guys did with those hand uh, painted frames and, and and things of that nature, uh, whatever the terminology is, you know, I leave that to you guys. I just sit back and enjoy. Uh, for a film that's thirty five years old to hold up in terms of storytelling, in terms of technology, uh, as Roger Rabbit, that's just a it's a it's a landmark film. Uh, Three hundred fifty one million dollars at the box office globally. That's nothing to sneeze about. It's a uh, it's a great film uh, and it was put together with a lot of love and I think we appreciate it. Plus something we never really talk about is the brilliant music by Alan Silvestri. I love Alan Silvestri mm-hmm. music. Um, he has scored so much uh, great films over time and recently did the Avengers end uh, game soundtrack, but he's done so much for a, a, a longtime collaborator of, um, of Amblin entertainment and Steven Spielberg so yeah it's great music great animation great story um i i know i can't i wasn't involved in the film but i was a fan and i did see it in the theaters dave you'll be happy about that uh what a great film but uh I, I hope we're able to get some more talk about the, this landmark film in the in the months to come to celebrate
0: you know I'm, tra- I'm trying to book a couple of uh, animators that worked on some key sequences in that film. Uh, so we're, we're gonna get them on uh, later in June and you know closer to the actual anniversary and, and you know it's it's just one of those films where I have such fond memories Al John. Uh, So many fond memories of uh, working on the picture, of living in London, of meeting, you know, the, the crew was such an international crew. And because I lived in London and made friends with a lot of different people, not only in animation, but other people that I met while I was living in London, I, I've, I'm fortunate to say that I have friends all over the world. You know, I, I have good friends down in Australia. I have friends around Europe, uh, in the UK, um, you know. Just an incredible group of people that came together to make that movie. And I'm, I'm kind of sad that they never really made a go of holding that team together to make other movies in London. It would have been great, but it just wasn't in the cards.
1: So you, you alluded to another film keeping the team together. Was there talk? to do a, a sequel to this, especially with the tie-in with Warner Brothers characters and Disney characters together. Was there talk about a sequel?
0: Well, there, there, was, there was talk about doing another film, uh, but uh, there had been talk about doing a sequel, and there still is talk about doing a sequel. Yeah. It just has never really materialized, which is kind of uh, a shame. Uh, but, you know, some films, you just don't need to do a sequel. It's true. You know, there, there's some movies that you just don't really need to um, uh, they stand on their own. You leave them, leave it by itself. That it, It'd be like somebody trying to do a uh, a sequel to Casablanca. Right. right. You know, uh, it just it, it just isn't going to really work.
1: Yeah, I feel the same about the Back to the Future trilogy. You know, they just maybe they should just leave that one alone.
0: Why they're gonna try and do something with oh
1: that? they've been teasing the, they've been teasing to do a reboot of that series forever and I'm like you're never gonna capture the magic you're just not you're not gonna capture yeah. Michael J Fox no, but, and uh, Christopher Lloyd uh, and, at the, and,
0: and and for them to try and do something like that without Michael J Fox and without uh um uh,
1: uh, uh, Christopher, uh Lloyd, Chris yeah, Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd Lloyd
0: yep. I I mean you know uh that w- that would be crazy,
1: yeah yeah. Well, and, and without Robert Zemeckis, because Robert Zemeckis is not going to want to do it either. Right. So, right. Um, so let's talk about this film. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you is in the animated sequences in the bar where they are doing the Disney and Warner Brothers characters together, you're seeing scenes shared by Daffy Duck and by Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny together. Do those... Are, with Disney, I understand, you know, they usually have lead animators for certain characters so that there's a consistency uh, where all the characters. Was there somebody at Warner Brothers that did all the different animation for those particular characters or was it all done by a single person or was it all done by the Disney team?
0: No, it, it was done by the team they pulled together for the movie. Right. Uh, Because you got to realize the bulk of the animation was done in London, Uh uh, but there was an animation team in Los Angeles that primarily focused on uh, the Toontown uh, sequence, uh, uh, but uh, did other scenes. And uh, without giving it away, I I was trying to get uh, one of the animators on who actually worked on that sequence, uh, with Donald Duck and Daffy Duck at the piano, like dueling pianos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, again, uh, when you do animation, you're casting characters to the animator's strengths, you know? So the animator who did Daffy Duck, you know, really, uh, channeled, the Warner Brothers uh, style, the Warner Brothers uh, animation style. And that's really what you have to do in
1: those kinds of films. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I was curious how that went back and forth um, between the different animators. But uh, like we've seen, you know, the Disney animators are so well skilled and versed in multiple art styles that they can certainly have a character jump off the page uh, from a Disney, quote unquote, Classic Golden Era Disney style versus, uh, you know, something like a Warner Brothers uh, style, or, you know, or, or something of that nature. And um, I, I think it's just one of the scenes that'll probably last the test of time. This film lasts the test of time, but those scenes are are just landmark scenes because you'll never. I don't know if we'll ever see a, a team up like that again. Uh, and no, I wish not we would. At all. You know,
0: I I, I don't think so. And I think as the years go by uh, the the 2D talent, you know, they're they're retiring and, you know, uh, moving on. Uh, And I don't know if you could actually pull together that kind of level of animation talent today, you know.
1: Well, I I feel like you guys were were the Beatles and the Rolling Stones all mixed in the one. I mean, you had all of the you know, all the the uh the future Hall of Famers in one room, if you will, for for that time. So um you know, kudos to that. Yes, the kids are screaming in the background. Have mercy on me.
0: Oh, well, you know, we're talking about Roger Rabbit. I mean, uh, they're fans.
1: A, yeah, they are. They're huge fans. <laughs> they're, they're huge fans. They're also huge fans of the uh, Three Little Pigs. I have to say that uh, Three Little Pigs growing up was one of my favorite uh, Disney animated, uh, you know, shorts. And the fact that I had the Big Bad Wolf um, stay on top of my amplifier all throughout high school, my, my gigs, and then still somebody stole it. But, uh, uh, my, my high school girlfriend was like, Hey, you're such a big fan of Disney. And I wanted to give you this when she went to, uh, Walt Disney World got me the Big Bad Wolf and I put him on my amplifier that it was it was just solidified right there. You know, Three Little Pigs is awesome. And 90 years old, Dave, that's a huge, huge landmark for this. project. That's
0: right. Next week is the 90th anniversary of uh, Three Little Pigs. The Walt Disney Silly Symphonies cartoon Uh, and really probably one of the most popular cartoons to come out of the 1930s. Uh, You know, it won an Academy Award. Um, The Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf uh, was a huge hit on radio in the 1930s. And uh, and the short spawned a number of uh, sequ- you know sequ- uh, sequels, if you will. Uh, and and uh, I'm going to be doing a Facebook Live event on Thursday, May 25th. And by the way, depending on the sources you look at, um, it either released on May 25th or May 27th, uh, 90 years ago. So let's just call it next week. Ninety okay. years ago. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's see. Uh and I'm gonna be doing a Facebook live event with uh the wonderful world of animation. Uh Neil Cantor and I are gonna be discussing uh Three Little Pigs and talking about some of the behind the scenes uh uh stories, uh the who 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 the animators were that worked on it, the music, uh also A little-known fact that uh, a a scene was uh, reanimated in the 1940s. What? Uh, Yeah. We're going to talk about that and go into detail about it. So it's Facebook Live event on Thursday. May 25th with the wonderful world of animation. You can, uh, find out more, uh, on, uh, Instagram. Uh, Neil's been posting the wonderful world of animation has been posting stuff on Instagram about it. Uh, and maybe Al John, you'll find a
1: link to put into, uh, the uh show notes yeah absolutely we'll do it and uh, last time we did uh, uh, the live stream i went ahead and put it on our facebook page as well so people can stream it directly from our facebook page Uh, it's great content i definitely suggest you like and uh, and hit that bell for notifications on our our facebook page whenever we post new content and especially when it comes to dave doing these live streams are absolutely fascinating so uh, mark your calendars for this thursday may 25th wonderful world of animation yes dave
0: and, and, you know, the other thing I was going to say, you know, I think the Silly Symphonies are really fantastic. Uh, you know, if people haven't seen them or watched a lot of them lately, you should really check them out because the Silly Symphonies were a training ground. Uh, it was an area of experimentation for the Disney artists in the 1930s. And a lot of what they were doing and experimenting with and learning about uh applied to uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, you know, uh, The Old Mill, the short that won an Academy Award. That was a silly symphony. Uh, they did a lot of experimentation with the multiplane camera on that short uh, and all of the stuff they learned. They applied to Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and other feature films that Walt was doing at that, you know, uh, that period uh, leading into those great films like uh, Pinocchio and Bambi and, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. Uh, So um, absolutely, if you have a chance. Check out some of those silly symphony cartoons. I like to watch them every once in a while and you can find them on YouTube. They're you know, just Google it and you'll 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 find a link to where you
1: can watch one of them. Yeah, they're on the they're on the plus, Dave. So uh, yeah. you can check it out on Disney and Plus. And they're on Disney Plus, yep, exactly. You can, check, you can go ahead and check them out but, on but, Disney. But plus.
0: by the way, not all of them are on Disney well, Plus. Well that's
1: true. Not all of them are they, yeah. they,
0: because there there's some where they they look at it <laughs> and so, the PC police say, Oh my god we can't put that up there you know because someone, someone's gone or something it's like <laughs> look, someone,
1: someone get Leonard Malton's stat we need an intro for this <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. all right, all right. We, we need we definitely need Leonard Malton to do a little bit of that um, for sure but uh, gang we've come to yet another end uh, for another show and thank you so much for being part of this journey journey with us as my children are yelling in the background it means daddy has to go uh so if you love disney and pop culture be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform give us those likes and subscribes facebook twitter linkedin instagram you can follow me aljohn go on instagram and send us those emails as well at aljohn at Podcast.com or david Podcast.com. Dave I'm going to have you just take it for a minute <laughs>
0: Alright so John, I would tell our audience uh, if you have a, a moment and you want to read a little bit of, uh, more about uh, theater experience and uh, all of that you can you can read my article Screen Time Paradigm that I wrote for the Henry Ford Museum Magazine uh, you can read that on my website at com under Articles. Uh, Check it out there. Uh, And as always, if you're looking for a signed copy of one of my books, you can go to theoldmillpress.com, one of our sponsors. And with that, I will tell you all, as I do every week, go out, have a fantastic week, and uh, we will see you back here next Monday on the Skull Rock Podcast.